Hey there, welcome back to the Jesus, Jewels, and Justice podcast, where we investigate theology, science, and faith, and also we have a little bit of politics stuck in there. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the historical and political aspect of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is going to be a really good show, so without further ado, let's go to the conversation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he died to save humanity from their sins. However, a lot of people don't ask this question, and that question is, why did Jesus die the way that he did? Why did he die on the cross? Why was he put to death by the hands of the Romans? So, most of the evidence points to the conclusion that Jesus was executed by the Romans for sedition or rebellion against the government itself. So, first he was crucified, the Bible says, as the king of the Jews. Second, he was crucified between two robbers or criminals, and the Roman term used for this is insurrectionist. And also we see in scripture another insurrectionist that was released in Jesus' place was Barabbas. So then, also the account of the charges brought to Pilate by the Sanhedrin in Luke's Gospel is related to sedition, in which he says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man guilty of subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And that's found in Luke chapter 23, verses 2 and verse 5. So while the evidence confirms that the charge against Jesus, it raises many mystifying questions of why Jesus was crucified, since he almost had nothing in common with the other rebels and insurrectionists of the day. He advocated love for enemies and commanded his followers to respond to persecution with acts of kindness, as in the Gospels. He affirmed the legitimacy of paying taxes to Caesar, even. At his arrest, he ordered his disciples not to fight, but to put away their swords, his few enigmatic sayings about taking up their swords probably carry spiritual rather than military significance. So all in all, Jesus' kingdom preaching would hardly be viewed by Pilate as instigating a military coup. So why did Pilate have Jesus crucified? While it's unlikely that Pilate viewed Jesus as a significant threat, he also had little interest in justice or compassion. We know from other sources that Pilate's governorship was characterized by a general disdain towards his subjects and brutal suppression of opposition. At the same time, his support from Rome was shaky at best, and he feared to antagonize the Jewish leadership unless they complained to the emperor. So ultimately, the Jewish leaders end up warning Pilate, if you let Jesus go, you're no friend of Caesar. Pilate would have felt both fear and anger. So, most likely, Pilate ordered Jesus' execution for three reasons. Number one, it placated the Jewish leaders and so headed off accusations against him to Rome. Number two, it preeminently eliminated any threat Jesus might pose if the people actually tried to make him a king. And number three, it ruthlessly warned other would-be prophets and messiahs that Rome would stand for no dissent. So now that we know some history about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and Pilate's motivations behind that, I want to go over a bit of 
what Roman crucifixion actually was, how it was used in different forms. So that word crucifixion comes from the Latin crucifixio or crucifixus, meaning fixed to a cross. It was a brutal form of torture and execution in the ancient world that involved binding a person to a wooden post or tree using nails or ropes. So in a Roman persecution, a person's hands and feet were driven through with stakes secured to a wooden cross. Crucifixion was used in the execution of Jesus Christ, as we know and we've gone over. So there are a couple different forms of crucifixion, mainly four different types that were used in Roman crucifixions. One example is a crux simplex, which is just one upright stake, a crux camissa, which is a capital T-shaped structure, a crux decusata, which is an X-shaped cross, and then a crux emissa, which is the familiar lowercase t in which Jesus was crucified on this kind of cross. So now that we have a basis for what crucifixion, and specifically Roman crucifixion, was like and their techniques, I want to go over some powerful facts about the cross of Christ and his crucifixion. So the first would be the pain and the shame of crucifixion, in which any attempt to understand the sufferings of Christ must be reckoned with the fact that 2,000 years of pious Christian tradition have largely domesticated the cross, making it hard to realize how it was viewed in Jesus' time. Both the painful and shameful aspects of crucifixion have become blurred no matter what we may think about this manner of execution. It simply does not mean the same thing for us as it did for those living in that time. So the New Testament doesn't provide a ton of information concerning the details of crucifixion, but there is remarkable brevity and restraint on the part of all four gospel authors when it comes to the actual crucifixion of Jesus. So we discussed a little bit about historical crucifixion, in which we have to remember that theological significance of the cross cannot be separated from the historical and physical event itself. And so we've gone over the types of crosses and the shapes of these crosses that were used, mainly the capital X, capital T, and lowercase t, which were the most common forms and shapes of the crosses. The nails that the Romans used to stake these people's hands and feet to the cross were of some significance as well. So the nails that they used were spikes that were used to impale the victim to the tree. Another aspect is the prolonged victim's agony of crucifixion. So oftentimes a small peg or block of wood called a sedicula was fixed midway up the vertical beam providing for a seat of some sorts. Its purpose was to prevent premature collapse and thus prolonging the victim's agony. So then crucifixion as capital punishment was a main factor in Roman methods of punishment and penalty. So it's hard to imagine a more hideous form of capital punishment than crucifixion. It was believed to be an effective deterrent in the ancient world and thus frequently employed. Another aspect of the cross that oftentimes we don't really think about when we think about the crucifixion that's recorded in the Bible is the obscenity and humiliation. So worse than the pain on the cross was the shame of the cross, and we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 verses 18 through 25. And here Paul refers to the cross as foolishness and a stumbling block. So why does he do that? It's not because the concept of, or practice of crucifixion was intellectually coherent, such as saying 2 plus 2 equals 5, or illogical, 
Rather, the message of salvation through faith in a crucified Savior was deemed foolishness and a stumbling block. The cross itself was the embodiment and emblem of the most hideous form. Because the cross was itself the embodiment and emblem of the most hideous of human obscenities, the cross was a symbol of reproach, degradation, humiliation, and disgust. It was aesthetically repugnant. In a word, the cross was obscene. The cross was more of an instrument of capital punishment. It was a public symbol of indecency and social indignity. Crucifixion was designed to do more than merely just kill a man. Its purpose was to humiliate him as well. The cross was intended not only to break a man's body, but also to crush and defame his spirit. And there were certainly more efficient means of execution, such as stoning, decapitation, and others. But the crucifixion that was used by the Romans was used to humiliate as well as it was harm. And so, for example, you have public nudity. And because crucifixions were always in public, the most visibly prominent place was selected, usually at crossroads, in theater, or somewhere else on high ground. And the reason was to intensify the sense of social and personal humiliation. Victims were usually crucified naked. In the Bible, physical nakedness was often a symbol of spiritual shame and ignominy. So when we talk about the foolishness, quote-unquote, of a crucified Savior, what do we mean? So the cross was also a symbol of indignity. The symbolic emphasis of the cross in the ancient world is also seen in the practice of hanging on a cross the corpse of a man who had been executed by some other means. What possible reason would there be for doing this except to subject his name slash reputation to the worst possible social indignation? So there's also a contradiction of a crucified Messiah that we believe in, in Jesus Christ. So the obscenity of the cross explains Paul's early opposition to the church and its gospel. Paul was ravaging the church, a word that literally refers to a wild beast tearing its prey, ripping from flesh to bone. He was breathing murderous threats at the church, and he persecuted the church to death. He furiously enraged at the church and tried to destroy it. Why? It wasn't primarily because the church claimed that Jesus was God incarnate, nor because of any perceived threat to the Mosaic law or the temple. The principle of a stumbling block for Paul was that Jesus had been crucified. A crucified Messiah was a contradiction in terms. One may have been a Messiah or may have been a crucified person, but one cannot have a Messiah whom himself is crucified. The concept of that evokes images of power, splendor, triumph, whereas that of crucifixion spoke of weakness, degradation, and defeat. In the Old Testament, in Jewish law, crucifixion was considered a curse, as in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Also, the cross was considered offensive. The offense of the cross does not come from the fact that it's theologically incoherent, or intellectually illogical or legally impermissible. The offense of the cross came from the fact that the cross itself is a visible symbol that physically embodiment of moral shame and aesthetic repugnance was more the instrument of death for him that claimed to be the Messiah or the Savior. This explains why Paul himself was so horribly mistreated and scorned when he preached the gospel. In sum, Jesus did not only die for the guilt of our sins, but also for the shame of our sins. 
So there's a lot more that could be said about this topic, but that'll have to be saved for another episode. Also, in the near and not too distant future, I'll be adding a co-host to the show. So I want to thank you all for listening to uh, this podcast. If you like this content, continue to listen, uh, comment, and subscribe to my channel. Thank you all, and God bless.